Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, February 17th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. And although they're not as famous as all the U.S. presidents we celebrate on Monday, they are very talented in their own right. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Don Severno, Senior Lead Equity Analyst. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was very robust, with a lot of numbers coming out with respect to inflation, including CPI and PPI, the Consumer Price Index and the Producer Price Index, respectively. We'll focus on the CPI numbers that came out with respect to the year-over-year increases in January at an increase of 6.4%, which was slightly below expectations, meaning that against the December numbers of 6.5% inflation, folks were hoping that inflation would come down a little bit more significantly than just one-tenth. If we also look at the core CPI number excluding food and energy components, it was 5.6% increase for the month of January year-over-year versus December's number at 5.7%. Again, some were hoping that number would come down a little bit more substantially. Shelter continued to be a component that drove some of the increases at a 7.9% overall increase year-over-year in the month of January. So we'll dig into some of these numbers with our panel today. That being the case, we also have retail sales that came out on Wednesday, which were an upside surprise at $697 billion in advanced retail sales as estimate numbers, again showing an increase of 3% from the prior month, which again was an upside surprise, especially since the month of December was a minus 1.1% month-over-month in retail sales, showing some resiliency on behalf of the consumers within the United States. And finally, we had industrial production and some leading economic indicators, but we also had unemployment claims on Thursday, which consistently remained below 200,000 number, showing again further resiliency in the jobs market with respect to what's going on in the economy. So with all that data, George, let's start with you with respect to your thoughts on the economic information and the forecast and how it might affect the Federal Reserve and other components of the economy. George? Well, you're right, Brian, that the inflation numbers were out uh, this week, and I think they probably continue to suggest that inflation is still here. We've, we've been talking about inflation cooling, and it is it is coming down a little bit, but it's still staying high. I mean, I think we saw, saw evidence of this uh, for quite some time now, and I think there's a, a quote that we talked about that inflation shoots out of a cannon, but it comes down like a feather. I think there was a, a, Fed, um, a Federal Reserve official that talked about that some time ago, and that seems to be a pretty apt metaphor. You know, irrespective of some of the headline numbers, um, you know, if you again look kind of one level down beneath the surface, food prices are still elevated. Food prices are still up some 10% year over year. Energy is fluctuating around, and we haven't seen much uh, much improvement yet on on the housing side, even though the housing market itself is uh, is still under some pressure. But housing prices are still somewhat elevated. And then, of course, the, the retail sales numbers were also quite uh, quite hot, as you mentioned. Uh, so the consumer still spending. You know, rising some three percent or so over the past month, just month over month, year over year, it's still kind of rising six percent. So the consumer is still spending. I think it's kind of interesting that you know some of the bears as we've talked about, the people that are really bearish on the economy, 
um, you know, suggests that there's a lot of you know, fluctuations that are going on that kind of maybe are distorting things on the upside. I've heard, for example, people talk about the fact that the weather's been so warm, that's boosting growth. I've heard people say that gift card sales uh, are, you know, kind of things that people got gift cards for the holidays and now they're spending that. It's kind of pulling forward demand perhaps. You know, I think the bottom line is that, that consumers have jobs, they've got money to spend and they're feeling reasonably good. So I think that's probably, again, good news for the economy, but it's bad news in the sense that maybe the Federal Reserve uh, probably has to stay more engaged and continue to think about raising rates. Um, there is a lot of noise in the economy, but uh, for now, you know, we've seen some Fed officials talk about that they probably thought they should have raised rates more than they did at the last meeting. Uh, so again, that's kind of gotten uh, the bond yields, uh, the bond market on notice a little bit, and bond yields have picked back up again. Um, but the bottom line, again, for me, I think that there's just a lot of distortions in the economy. I mean, even if you talk about uh, retail sales, I went back and looked, Brian, and I kind of saw an interesting pattern. So retail sales, as we noted, were up about 3% month over month in January. So that's a pretty good month. I mean, anytime you see kind of plus or minus 2%, um, that's a pretty good reading. So it was a pretty strong January. The preceding month, it was down four. Uh, so in December, typically we kind of associate it with the holiday spending season. Sales were down 4%. They were down one in November, but they were up 6% in October. So in the course of four months, we've gone from plus six to minus four to up three. And again, you know, there's a lot of things we can kind of parse out uh, to try and figure out what's going on there. I guess I just think the bottom line is that the economy is still being somewhat distorted by, by COVID, frankly. And it's going to be kind of some fits and starts, and it's going to be kind of a volatile season for quite some, uh, some time to come. But in our view, again, I still think that the Federal Reserve is going to be involved. It's probably going to be staying, um, you know, kind of keeping rates elevated for longer. Uh, we still don't see a pivot emerging uh, this year. And that kind of support, that's been supported, I think, by the, uh, the news this week. So for us, it's really important to be diversified in this environment. Active management, I think, has also uh, got a bid, and we're starting to see evidence of, of really some interesting opportunities in the market uh, present themselves, but you have to be very selective. So I guess let me flip it over to Steve to get your thoughts on kind of the equity market reaction to what we've seen this week and for the overall backdrop around a pretty volatile uh, set of economic releases. Steve, what do you think? Well, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me this week, George, is that six-month U.S. T-bill yields passed 5% for the first time since 2007. And, you know, when you think about that, let's, if you, if you compare just cash yields to the earnings yield on the S&P 500, and just for our listeners, the earnings yield is what you get when you take the earnings per share for the S&P 500 and divide it by price. It's the inverse of the the, what you typically hear people talk about of the PE ratio. Okay. So it lets you compare equities with fixed income securities and cash yields. This, uh, the, the earnings yield on the S&P 500 right now is 5.08%. So literally you're talking about being able to invest in cash for six months and, uh, and sleep well at night without having to worry about equity market volatility and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think we do have some competition for stocks right now. Okay. So, so that kind of gives you a background. When you look at earnings numbers themselves, you know, we're, we're almost done with Q4 earnings season. Now you're, you're 86% of the S and P 500 reporting, and really the market has not cared. Um, it's been a macro driven market. Um, the, the reason why I say that is because if you're a company that double beats, you're only uh, outperforming the market by 1% versus an average outperformance historically of 1.7. And if you um, miss on both revenues and EPS, you're underperforming by 1% versus a historical underperformance of 3.1%. So, you know, basically the market is just 
meh on earnings season this 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 quarter. They whether you make it or you miss it, it, it doesn't really matter. You're you're up or down one percent. Um, so you know when we look at things, the the current state of play here. Um, it, it looks to us like this is just a, a, a back, a normal backing and filling um, from the market. We we got to an area where uh, it was very natural for things to rest around 4,100. Uh, sentiment has backed off a little bit, but I caution to people to to point to sentiment here because sentiment really only works at the extremes. When it's an extreme bullish or an extreme bearish scenario, sentiment matters. But when sentiment is basically in any other percentile other than the top or bottom deciles, it doesn't really matter. So uh, the fact that we've got more bulls than bears right now doesn't doesn't make any difference. You know, when I, when I think about how things set up, it's really going to be the macro that drives it. Um, we've had Fed heads talking more. Uh, a more hawkishly this week than what we have over the past few weeks. And when you combine that with kind of an overbought condition in the market where we got a bit extended relative to uh, where the market had been over the past few months, it's natural for us to take a little bit of a break here. So on the sediment piece, I think it's probably a good segue to uh, invite Don on the line. So Don Severno has been doing some really interesting work with respect to the options market. And Don, it seems to me that there's some interesting undercurrents inside the option market that investors should be paying attention to. Uh, what do you say? I agree with you, George. And uh, so this is a natural extension of the talk on volatility and sentiment. We'll talk about uh, the natural embodiment in the market uh, with instruments that were actually created to take advantage of volatility and sentiment, the derivatives market. Uh, Exchange-traded derivatives have been trading differently over the past couple of years. Volume's been skewed towards shorter dated expirations, uh, more so than ever before. Uh, this has really been tech-related. You know, there's broader adoption, easier connection to online exchanges for retail investors. Trading platforms offer uh, ridiculously complex strategies. Think things like uh, iron butterflies, iron condors that uh, most investors don't know what they are. They're ubiquitous. They're passe for uh, retail investors. You know, choices are legion. Uh, the increased choice has led to high volume in uh, options expiring in less than one day. These are not so creatively called zero days to expiration options. And we particularly see these higher volumes in on the call side. And to take a step back, calls give the buyer a right uh, to buy at a predetermined price at a future date. Puts give the buyer the uh, ability to sell at a, pre a predetermined price at a future date. So uh, call buyers um, benefit when the market goes up and put buyers benefit when the market goes down. So as, as demand for, you know, just different option tenors rose with the rise of technology, exchanges started offering more and more expiration dates. Monthlies became weeklies, and then weeklies started being offered every day. Of so that we were in a situation now in these highly liquid products like the S&P 500 or the lightning rod mega cap tech companies uh, that um, we, we have options expiring on each day of the week. And retail investors, they love these daily options. Uh, they, they can bet on binary outcomes, zeros and ones, yeses and nos, uh, on the economic data that we've talked about today, on you know CPI numbers, on uh, employment numbers, uh, or even something as old fashioned as earnings releases. They, they can take positions on a single day on what's gonna happen uh, what, what the top line numbers are going to be. 
And these are sleep well at night strategies. Investors can get in in the morning, they're out at night. They don't have to worry about the 24 hour news cycle. They don't have a position overnight. Uh, they love them so much that over 50% of option volume so far this year has been in these zero data expiration options. That's a huge amount. Uh, that's uh, actually skewing the way that volatility is calculated. And uh, what uh, the thesis here is that we might be skewing volatility data in the market as a whole. Uh, it's not captured in traditional fear sentiment, fear gauges like the volatility index or the VIX released by SIBO. Uh, it's not included in a lot of sentiment data. So the market might be underrepresenting or underestimating what volatility in the marketplace actually is. And uh, secondly, uh, this is important because one-day movements can be exaggerated. We saw in 2022 uh, that seven out of eight trading days had a greater than 1% move in the S&P 500. Seven out of eight trading days. Uh, that's, a, that's a percentage that we haven't seen since the great financial crisis. Yet, uh, volatility as a fear gauge went down during the year. Uh, we, we see momentum of volatility also changing. Momentum of volatility uh, is due to uh, the other side of the trade. So for every buyer, there has to be a seller. Uh, for the sellers, for these retail investors, these zero uh, day two expiration options are market makers. They're the liquidity providers in the marketplace. Uh, and they're, they're causing almost a snowball effect. So as the market's going up, they're buying into rallies to hedge their deltas, to hedge their exposure. They're selling into sell-offs, uh, which is kind of making larger single-day moves more prevalent. Uh, larger single-day single moves increase the likelihood of a very large single-day move. Um, when market makers, uh, it, it could cause panic in the marketplace and just kind of um, over-trade on, on specific trading days. Uh, here at KeyBank, we, we prefer a more thoughtful, a more disciplined approach to volatility into options trading. Uh, we, we really tailor strategies longer term uh, to the needs of individual clients rather than uh, kind of increasing or in, including short-term trends in our decision-making. We tend to look at longer term rather than shorter term. So if you boil it down just to the essence, Don, I mean, a lot of great information there. What, what do you think most investors should do about this? I mean, it's just, is it a function that the market, as you said, is now compressed into really small little sub-segments of volatility? You know, daily expirations kind of to me suggest just probably don't get too wrapped up in, in, in short-term fluctuations. As you said, kind of think about longer-term trends as opposed to these short-term blips. Is that the key takeaway? Yeah, we, we, we love a holistic approach to our asset allocation and to uh, investing. Uh, we, we don't get too panicked in the short term. We don't get uh, too bogged down into short-term trends. We, we look at the horizon rather than a shorter term. And we can do that using options and volatility trading as well. It's always being disciplined and it's being thoughtful in the way that we take positions and not uh, getting on, not, not betting on the market, investing in the market. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the key thing for me, George, the takeaway for investors is to try not to get caught up in what you see in the in terms of the intraday volatility in the markets. I mean, look at look at last week, right? We had a we had a three day period where 
we had seven swings of greater than 1% or more from top to bottom intraday, including one day where we had three swings back and forth. And all of this is driven by this pinning action on these zero date to expiration options. So like, I think investors need to keep their focus, as Don said, on the, on the long horizon and kind of just ignore a lot of this intraday noise because it really is noise right now. Frankly, the biggest risk with these, in my view, is this comparison that people have made to portfolio insurance usage back in the late 1980s where um, because of hedging that people need to make, it can drive really crazy stuff uh, on, a, on a very short time horizon. So, so people just need to be aware that this is happening and you know, take it into account when they, when they think about how they're, they're looking at day-to-day -day action. Or said another way, uh, a large percentage of the market is in the same trade and is doing the same thing based on market movement. So thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Don. We appreciate your insights, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.